Now you're off to the races as far as innovation goes. You've got uh, people on the forefront of the business working directly with you as a technology organization to solve real problems that we have as a business. And that's a great model for your audience to think about and think about how they can pursue. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, listeners. This is David Wright, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am happy to be joined by Chris Herringshaw. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, David. Thank you. It's a great day here in Colorado. Excellent. Yeah. I'm actually going to be out there in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's great to have you. So Chris, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your current role, where you are right now. Yeah. Currently, I'm the Global Chief Technology Officer for Janice Henderson Investors. I work out of our North American office here in Denver, and my remit is to oversee all of our technology and, and data portfolio at Janice Henderson. The company itself is an active asset manager for a few thousand clients, ranging from retail investors all the way up to major institutions and funds. And I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So we like to start off our episode with one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today. Yeah, great question. I think the biggest piece of advice I could give your audience is to be decisive and to make decisions leadership's a tough space sometimes. You've got to look at ambiguous data. You've got to look at conflicting data points, but your teams are looking at you to chart that path forward for them to be able to then go back and work towards your strategic goals. Sometimes, most of the time, you make good decisions based on the data available, and sometimes you just don't, and that's part of the journey. But the sooner you make those decisions, the sooner you know you're either on the right path or you're on the wrong path. And one of the things that I see in a number of organizations that I deal with is that sort of analysis by paralysis. And, you know, there's always a reason not to do something. There's always a consideration. There's always a risk. And, you know, great leaders push through that and they chart the course forward, accepting of the risks and accepting of the nuances and push the company forward. Yeah, I love that you touched on that, especially in financial services and healthcare. There's a lot of risk, like you said, and there's a lot of fear there for an executive suite to make the wrong decision, right? But True innovation really requires that mentality of, of being decisive and failing fast, integrating that feedback. And, and that's really, 
from what we can see, that the most innovative companies, that's what they're doing. So It does require a leap of faith. You need to really understand the question you're trying to solve for. And I think that's also a mistake that organizations sometimes get wrapped up in is asking the wrong question. And once you understand the real question that needs to be answered, you can look and find what data points that you need to drive that decision in that space. And then suddenly the landscape becomes a little clearer, right? I think the potential leap of faith you're going to make is a little bit clearer. You mentioned financial services. Yeah, I mean, we're a capital markets-based company. We strive for risk-adjusted returns for our investors that outpace the markets. And by definition, that requires calculated risk. And so for us as an organization, we're constantly looking at, are we asking the right question? And are we feeding that analysis with the right data? More often than not, I'm happy to say that we do, and it makes us successful as a company. Great insights, Chris. So let's talk a little bit about your personal backstory and how you got to where you are today. Where did you start out? How did you get here? Yeah, thank you. When I tell people about my background, it's a little bit the tale of two halves of the game. So coming out of the University of Michigan, my alma mater, I went straight to the East Coast to join up with a bunch of friends of mine, and we went straight into venture-backed high-tech startups. So, you know, raising money, the whole ramen noodle, macaroni and cheese kind of living, seven people's apartment. But we were determined that we wanted to chart our own course. And it was a mix of technology, people that joined me from the University of Michigan, people out of MIT, a lot of talent there in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And over the next several years, we had some successes. We had some spectacular failures, but it was a journey. And one of the things I take away from that part of the journey is, learning to do a little bit of everything, learning how to understand disciplines that you weren't necessarily close to or understood the nuances of. How do you pick that up? How do you assimilate that into coherent decision-making? And really just how to get things done. That was so much fun at that point in my life. We were then going to the second half of my career. We were in between startups trying to figure out like what idea did we want to tackle next? And I got a call from a recruiter. I was in Chicago at the time, and the recruiter said, hey, I got a great opportunity for you. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I kind of like being a founder of startup companies. I said, but I'll hear you out. And the recruiter says, how? It's with a financial firm here in Chicago. And I was like, wait, bank accounts and spreadsheets? No, no. Like, I'm a tech guy. (laughs) Like, I'm not doing that. Right. And so it was a good conversation. But the recruiter kept pursuing me. And he said, no, Chris, you're misunderstanding And, you know, being a little bit younger, a little bit naive about it, I was probably too cavalier about the opportunity. But ultimately, I got a call from one of my mentors who was familiar with the financial services space, had spent some time in it. And he said, Chris, you know, you need to stop being an idiot and you need to listen and really find out what you don't know. So I ended up taking the interview. And what I learned, a lot of financial services companies are very forward in their technology plans. And they have the resources to do it. And we don't have to go out and raise money every nine to 10 months. We could really focus on long-term value creation using the leverage of technology. So I started an investment firm in Chicago, and I spent about 16 years helping build up many aspects of their technology program, from infrastructure to analytics and data to research and development. And then that culminated in me making the move out here to Denver and joining Janice Henderson. And now I run their technology organization. Super cool. I have so much respect for people who have gone that, that way of the founder path. It can be brutal and, but you learn a lot. I mean, I'm sure that experience has been invaluable in what you're doing now. You learn a lot of failure early on. You learn a lot of no. No, we're not going to help you. No, we don't want to invest in you. No, we don't believe in your idea. And it teaches you, I taught me, I should say, 
how to find your convictions and how to stick with them and how to trust your own gut when it comes to big decision making and to stick with it or to give it up. If you think you're on the wrong path and your intuition is telling you, you need to make that course correction. And that's been invaluable for me as I transition to more of a larger corporate environment to be able to be more nimble and take some of that startup mentality bring it into the larger organizations, fail a little bit faster, be more decisive in the decision-making. And that has a sort of exponential effect on projects around the technology organization. And the net is you move a little faster, you innovate a little more, you solve a few more problems than you were on track to solve before. And that that has a very positive impact on the rest of the organization. Makes sense. You touched on a few insights, but what's one of the most important things that you have learned over the course of your life, personally, professionally, or otherwise? And what was life like before learning it and after learning? Great question. I would say the biggest lesson that I learned is any success that my career has had has not a lot to do with me in the sense of I can work incredibly hard. I can have great skills. I can be the world's foremost expert in something and not have that add up to anything material in our industry or in many industries. And so the transition was you have to build a team of people, a team of different capabilities that are complementary to start getting that scale. And when those people learn that same lesson and they start building their teams out, then you really start to have an organization that's incredibly efficient, that's incredibly innovative, that sees opportunity that other organizations or or perhaps people in our own organization don't see, and then bring them to the light of day. And so as I as I look at my career, that was quite a distinct shift for me away from, you know, I can do anything, I can build anything, I can engineer anything to, yeah, that's interesting, but on a very, very small scale and to really do the big, interesting work and the rewarding work for the organizations and the industry that I'm in, it requires that team and that team at scale to deliver at scale. Yeah, I feel the same way. So we touched on some of the failure that is involved with being a founder or starting kind of that VC environment. And I know I've had a ton of failures over the course of our young history. What's one of the failures that sticks out in your mind as one of the biggest opportunities you had to learn and grow from? Yeah, I would say at one point in my career, we were making a transition, as most companies did, away from bare metal computing towards more virtualized computing, right? Specifically, uh, virtual machine type computing. And we knew the math, we knew the engineering, we knew the resource planning, and we started down the road of implementing that. And I think in retrospect, more pushing that on the business rather than bringing them along on the journey. And so it took a long time. It took a lot more money than we originally intended. It took a lot of smoothing egos, answering questions, lowering the temperature in the room about people not being involved. And ultimately it got there. But when you get there at that point, it doesn't really feel like a success. It feels like a survival. And so the lesson I took away is that tech for tech's sake in an organization like mine is not super compelling, right? Tech that solves a specific business problem that the business teams and the leadership are intimately involved with and aware of and know the trade-offs, know the risks and having that collaboration and that partnership That makes all the difference between a technology project that survives and one that is actually heralded and makes a huge impact for the company. And so, you know, my mistake there was thinking that tech could solve every problem for a business that wasn't tech focused and missed that opportunity to really establish those partnerships early on. 
Yeah. I was thinking of like one project in particular that I had a very similar experience a few years back. So that definitely resonates with me. And yeah, we find, like you're saying, you have to create that almost like on our large enterprise projects, we create kind of an advisory board. And a huge part of what we do is just enrollment, organizational change management. Like you said, seeing the challenges, measuring the impact that it's having on the organization and being able to almost quantify how this, you know, technology initiative can, and, and sometimes it's not even technology. Sometimes it's operationally or clinically or otherwise coupled with technology, but how we can measure the impact that it'll ultimately have on the organization and getting people excited about what's possible. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and in a lot of organizations, there's a gap between people on the, uh, well, we'll say the business side in a general sense and what we're doing in tech. And even if we have great people, great resources lined up, there's still that gap, that gap in how you talk about it, the gap in how you think about process. And one of the things that we really strive to do is to be as conversant in our business process as our business teams. And then you don't have as much of a translation problem. You have people in there who know how our products work, how our trading strategies work, how our back office operations work. And and those people are very technical in nature. So they can see well, if we had some process automation here and some different data manipulation or analytics here, it kind of solves this other problem without us as a technology organization waiting for the business to really tell us what they need. And so for us, that's an accelerator, and we're trying to do a lot more of that. And the business finds it incredibly invaluable for technologists who speak their language, who know the tools, who know their thought process and their business process as well as they do. Yeah, that's huge. I'm really looking forward to learning more about your vision and the team that you've assembled. Before we shift gears into that, uh, I'd like to ask a favorite book, blog, or literary piece right now, or all time, I make my book list from these conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think maybe I'll take that question as all time, because I find myself dabbling in a few places all the time. Harvard Business Review, HBR, like the articles that come out of there are absolutely fantastic from a theory perspective. And even if they're targeting different industries and different uh, types of companies, there's so many lessons in there. So that's my general answer. I think a very specific answer is a book I read several years ago called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, ex-Navy SEAL commander in Iraq. And he talks about every person in his platoon, himself, taking extreme ownership of any problem that comes up. No passing the buck, no sort of like slinking back in your chair and and saying, well, you know, I'm not going to make eye contact because it's not really my issue. Like I'm going to step in and I'm going to be part of that solution. And it just stood out as something so different than I think a lot of companies experience from a corporate perspective that I pass that to my teams and say, hey, you really should read this book. You should understand the spirit of what he is trying to say because it really helps. And and it's helped my career tremendously after having read that and after starting to take more just extreme ownership of everything from a failure or a disappointment on the service desk that we have all the way up to business strategy and getting involved. What can I do to help? Even if it's small, I will take it. I will own it. I will go find the answer if I don't know the answer. That attitude, I think, breaks down a lot of silos. It gets through a lot of uh, barriers and obstacles and ultimately is the right example for a team that finds itself on the winning side of technology. Yeah, I love that. And having team members that will take that level of accountability and run with it, and if they don't have the answer, go find the answer, 
what a relief it is when you have people under you that do that. So thanks for that, Chris. I'm definitely going to check out that book for sure. So you've been at Janice Henderson about three years now. Walk me through your vision for the organization. I think where we're going as a technology organization is almost to not be thought of as a technology organization, because that sort of implies that you're over there, the business is over here, and there's something going on over there that I've got to sort of interface with. You know, our vision is to be so embedded in our business to understand how all the pieces work that we're just a natural part of and we're thought of as a part of that business who just happens to have some technology skills and some tools they can bring to bear. And when I talk to my leadership team, when I talk to my team leaders and all my individual contributors across the organization, I ask them, how can you get more involved in what's going on? Can you go to team meetings? Can you just sit down with someone in the business and say, show me your day? And it's those simple things that sometimes we don't think of where we think, oh, you know, they're too busy. They're never going to do that. And I would say I have never found anyone on the business side at Janice Henderson or prior to that who wasn't willing to sit down for a half an hour and show you, hey, this is my day. These are the tools I use. These are the problems I have. Wouldn't it be great if all those conversations, when you have a sort of a large interface between two organizations, a lot of that communication, a lot of that intuition gets lost. And so my vision for this organization is to be so embedded in what we do as a business that we don't think about technology as a partner or another part of the organization. We're just there and we speak their language and we can solve problems in the way that they think about the world and that are best for them from a business perspective. Impressive, man. I mean, IT and technology were siloed for so long. And I mean, people have been making strides in this direction, but it sounds like you guys are really, you're there and you're kind of expanding on that now. Really yeah, we're cool. getting there. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a journey for us. And when we were Janus Capital and Henderson Group Investors, you know, two separate organizations that were relatively small in the space. And so you still had some of that startup vibe. It was a lot easier to just walk down the hall and talk to someone. It was a great merger for both sides. And now the combined Janus Henderson organization gave us a lot of global presence. It gave us a lot of great products to be able to put in front of our clients but going global sort of took a little bit of that edge away, that sort of intimacy about being able to know everyone on the floor and walk down the hall. And so it's something we need to relearn and reestablish in this new sort of global operating space that we're in. Right. And I feel like a lot of people are learning that with the increasingly more distributed workforce. In any case, what are some of the key initiatives you guys are focused on right now? Yeah, no surprise for us, but data is one of the biggest things that we think about, one of the biggest things that we do, and we're working on the implementation of a strategic data platform, and that platform really establishes where your golden sources of data in the organization, but it pulls them together into a very coherent global data model, and then from that, you have a lot less friction in the organization, a lot less mismatch in the organization, right? You may pull from source one, I may look at source two, the numbers don't match, Well, what do we have to do? We have to sit down and have more meetings about how our numbers differ and get to the bottom of it. And that just creates inefficiency that's not forward looking for us. And so we have that data platform. It's operational today. It's spectacular for the data that we have in it. And so our journey really is to get more and more data sets in there and then provide that next layer of analysis on top that answers the majority of our business questions right up front, and we know the data is good, we know the analysis is good, the calculations are spot on, 
And that allows us to go back to focusing on our clients and focusing on our investment strategy across the board. So that is probably single most strategic thing that we are working on today and then have a lot of offshoots on that to upgrade systems, to change systems, get rid of systems, and really change the way that we think about data as an organization. Yeah, huge for financial services right now and banking and I mean, really all industries right now. Data is power. And so many companies are just starting to formulate that data strategy. What are some of the most innovative technologies to kind of support that data strategy or building off that data strategy that you're excited about? And kind of where do you see the industry going in the future? Yeah, I think certainly some of what we do is proprietary and, you know, steer clear of that for the sake of our clients. But Some of the things that I find a lot of commonality with my peers in the organization and companies outside of our industry is certainly moving to things like Microsoft Azure or AWS and establishing data operations in those locations and in those technologies. And then you layer on something like a Snowflake scalable data platform using Databricks for analytics. You know, that's a good pattern that we're seeing emerge over the last several years in financial services. And once you embrace those technologies, antiquated processes like me sending a file of data to you over secure FTP, right, which has been how financial services has done it for so long. Paradigms like that fade away in favor of my cloud's going to merge a small part of it with your cloud. And the data that we would normally pass back and forth over files just becomes available or becomes automatically integrated into our data model uh, because we're using technologies like Snowflake and Databricks. And so it's helpful within Janice Henderson But it's also helpful for the entire financial services ecosystem and us exchanging data with our key partners and with the street. Yeah. Now, I appreciate you walking me and our listeners through that. That's really helpful. In doing all of this, what are some of the best practices you and your team follow? You know, one of our sort of foundational mantras, if you will, is we hate customization. And if you look at any software package, if you look at any custom software design even any data model in the data space, nothing is ever going to match exactly how your business thinks about the world, right? So then you have two choices. Choice number one is, well, I'm going to do something on top of that software or on top of that data model to have a derivative of it and do the specific thing that I want, but it's a false choice, right? It it may give you a short-term return, but long-term, you're kind of locked into that. And every time the underlying platform has an advancement, a new module, some new functionality, Right now, you have to integrate that new version as well as go fix or change all the things that you've customized in that platform. So to be innovative, especially in this space, you almost have to not be innovative, if that makes sense. So you have to take these platforms for what they are. To the extent you can, you need to adopt your business process and your business strategy around the tools that you have available because it keeps your flexibility It keeps your ability to move fast and move faster than your competition when you have less sort of anchor weighing you down in terms of fancy customizations and derivatives of fairly standard tools. Yeah, 100%. Any other opportunities you see in the industry as time passes that you want to bring up? Opportunities in the industry. I would say organizationally, it is to try and avoid the bias of talking about everything and having meetings about everything. And I see that in our organization at times. I see that in other organizations. Sort of going back to what we talked about earlier, you can almost wrap yourself around the axle 
talking about things and going back and forth on points that are not particularly relevant to your strategic direction. And so I try as best as we can as an organization to preserve the time for our people to actually build solutions, to understand the business, and do less time sort of sitting in meetings and doing status updates and things like that. You can't get away with none, right? Obviously, you've got to have good interfaces between teams and things like that. So we've adopted something we call the Janice Henderson way. It's a product-oriented model. It's got a lot of agile principles to it. We do a lot of stand-ups, 15 minutes. David, you got 60 seconds. Summarize your day yesterday, what you're going to work on today, how can I help you, and sort of go from there. There's a lot of narrative behind there that could be interesting to a few people, but in all likelihood, that's not interesting to the majority of people on the meeting. And so you really sort of expose the highlights, and then maybe you and I jump offline for five minutes to explore that release you're going to do today and how it may impact something that I'm doing. It's a much more efficient use of time and freeing up that time for our teams to really focus on innovation and delivering technology solutions. I'm really glad I was going to transition to our last question, and I'm glad I asked that because that's awesome. I mean, and it's so huge. I'm actually working on something similar with my executive coach right now and and being more, I don't want to say defensive of my time, but certainly more mindful. And with those agile principles, I've been like, as we've been talking, I I keep seeing this book in the background, The Phoenix Project. Have you read this? I love that book. Yeah. Such a good book. And like, Kind of what we've been talking about reminded me of this book as we were discussing it. So I'll, I'll plug The Phoenix Project by uh, Gene Kim, Kevin Barron, and George Spafford. It's a great um, read for your audience. I enjoyed it immensely. For sure. So, Chris, as we bring things to a close here, we like to ask executives like yourself, if you could go back five or ten years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? You know, I would tell me back then to focus more on the outcome. And I think... Being a young technologist and engineer getting into the space, and for me, that was sort of emergent web, right? It wasn't really a thing back then, so that was very emergent. The standards were just emerging, right? The the idea that you could have e-commerce on this thing called the Internet was just beginning. And so the mindset back then was quite engineering-focused, like, hey, look at this cool web thing that we did or this cool enhancement that we did, and then trying to find a problem for that technology to solve. And I, I think that's a mistake that I and, and some of my peers make is that we need to find the business problem first and the outcome first and find what kinds of technology solutions can actually work to solve that problem rather than the reverse. And I think it, it's an instinct I have to fight. Many technologists have to fight about seeing a cool new thing that is really efficient or really fast or really something but focus on the outcome. Like, what does that solve? How does that move our strategy forward? How does it move our business forward? How does it make interactivity with our clients better? And that's where I think technology becomes a real success lever for an organization is when you're focused on those outcomes. And I think for me personally, honestly, for a long time, I was focused on the coolness of tech and iterating on it and integrating two things together that don't particularly solve anything new and interesting because it was a challenging technology problem of some kind. But as you get into the corporate world, as you think about innovation, it rarely starts and stops in the technology space. Yeah, great advice. Chris, it's been such a pleasure. Any closing remarks that that you'd have? No, I think I would just say thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been great to sort of talk about Janice Henderson, some of the great things that we're doing, some of the mistakes that we've made, and some of the things that we're doing right. 
you know, what I would say to your audience is establish those partnerships across the business. It doesn't have to be in a leadership capacity. And in fact, at times it's more effective when it's not in a leadership capacity. Get out of your chair, get off the Zoom, go walk over, talk to people if you can in the office. Just get to understand how they work in their world, and it will make you a better technologist and a better innovator. And so I would encourage your whole audience to do more of that. I'll tell one anecdote. So one of my friends and mentors that I'm still in close contact with today, this was many, many years ago. He comes walking into the office, and he's got one of the uh, Fitbit step counters on. Young me and young people around me are like, oh, okay, old guy, you're going to count how many steps in the office? And, you know, ha, ha, ha. And he was a great, he was a, took it in great spirit. And he said, well, let me tell you guys something that you don't understand. The higher that number goes on my wrist, the more I've walked around the office, the more I've talked to people, the more hall conversations I've had, the more partnership I've formed while you guys are sitting here tapping out code at your desk. And then it was just sort of stunned silence by me and my colleagues around. It's like, wow, that is incredible advice. And that advice over the years has served me well. Uh, and it's something I particularly focus on making sure I get up out of my virtual seat. I go talk to people. I have more real conversations, not um, sort of agenda-driven, meeting-driven conversations, but just real, how's it going, David? How's it going? You're part of the business. What are you hearing about what we're doing in tech? Oh, nothing? Well, let me tell you, you know, some of the great things that are coming that are really going to make your space better. And that typically sparks a lot of questions and things like, hey, can you come talk to my team? Like, we would love to hear this. And then suddenly that partnership grows, and then you start getting calls saying, hey, I've got this problem. It's not yet become like an urgent problem for the business, but like, hey, I was thinking, or hey, this is inefficient. You were telling me about X, Y, and Z. You think that could work here? Now you're off to the races as far as innovation goes. You've got uh, people on the forefront of the business working directly with you as a technology organization to solve real problems that we have as a business. And that's a great model for your audience to think about and think about how they can pursue. Great stuff. Chris, thank you so much for being on this afternoon. It was such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks, David. I really enjoy doing these, and I really enjoy exploring some of the things that we're doing as an organization uh, that might be able to help your audience. Absolutely. So thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you all next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.